Welcome back to The Winkly. It is me, your managing editor of Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, here with another episode of The Winkly. And I am joined here, as I am just about every Wednesday, by my good friend, Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to The Winkly. Good to be back. I mean, but do I need to be back? Do we need to even have a show? I mean, is there anything even going on to talk about? That's, you know, Justin, you know, that Wednesday, this Wednesday here can always be hit or miss, right? Was there 24 hours worth of headlines? Was there not 24 hours worth of headlines? Oh, we have got 24 hours worth of headlines here to catch up on here today. Uh, and we will do that here in just a moment. Right after we do, though, you're going to get two interviews here on the show as well. Right after the news, uh, you're going to hear first from Impact Wrestling's Michael Elgin. I chatted with him. Uh, he's got a big match here this Sunday night at Bound for Glory, which I will be there as well. I'll be here front. I think I'm sitting front row. If I got my, if I got the, if I got the message right, so you might see me front row there, Bound for Glory this Sunday in Chicago. Uh, be sure to check out the site here for coverage of that. Prelude to Glory, All Glory, all the big Impact Wrestling events going on this weekend. Uh, and after my interview with Michael Elgin, you're also going to hear our own Scott Fishman. He did an interview with MLW's Selena De La Renta. This was done from a nightclub down in Florida, and uh, there's a video that goes along with it, which I think is also going to be up on the YouTube channel uh, right around the same time the interview goes live here on the podcast today. So thank you, Scott and Selena, uh, for, for sending us that bit of audio there. All right, well, let's get to it here. News you can use, news that will leave a bruise. Justin, half our run sheet's about one thing here, and that is that WWE announced yesterday that Bruce, Bruce Pritchard will replace Eric Bischoff as the executive director of WWE Friday Night SmackDown. Now, Eric had been in this role for about four months, but now Pritchard is going to be the one to uh, report directly to Vince McMahon. He's going to oversee creative development for SmackDown on Fox and ensure integration across all the platforms and lines of business. WWE issued the following to the media, clarifying Eric's status with the company. They said Bischoff is no longer with the company and has been replaced by Pritchard. Uh, I've got more to get to here. We can meander through some of this stuff, but Justin, I'll start by saying, what was your gut reaction to finding out the news that Pritchard was taking this role and that Eric was no longer in this position with SmackDown? Well, not so much surprised that Bruce Pritchard was getting in power just because, I mean, Bruce just has, I mean, look at the, look at the percentage of his professional career he spent working with WWE and under Vince McMahon. So he obviously knows the right things and the wrong things to do to keep himself in favor there for by and large. Yeah. Obviously I was more shocked that Bischoff is completely gone. You know, you said four months, it's, just, it's been almost four months since they made the announcement into June. Uh, it's been less than that since Eric's actually even been technically on the job. Cause you know, there was that, there's several weeks of like, kind of like him easing in and him, you know, relocating from, from Wyoming to, to Connecticut. So, um, you know, not a, uh, not a long time, but I guess enough of a sample size for he and or WWE to know this just ain't working. Yeah, and you know, if you if you've been listening to the show from the get go, I was very surprised by this announcement for a lot of reasons. You know, uh, we'll talk more about some of the other backstage news regarding Eric and his personality and how he interacted with people. But I will say, from my perspective, having worked with for about a year and a half with Eric on on the podcast he did before Conrad's, you know, I was <laughs> I was leading the way as far as. Uh, what was going on in the world of pro wrestling, which was really weird because the pitch I originally had to Eric for the podcast was let's go back and relive each episode of Nitro and pay-per-view from WCW from the from the height once you guys launched at Mall of America week by week. Well, and, you know, we can we can relive those stories. And he said nobody wants to hear old wrestling stories that they've heard a million times. Wise sage uh, knowledge there from one Eric Bischoff considering what he's doing right now. Um, but, uh, there's the other, but by choosing, he wanted to talk the news today, it became very quickly apparent that he didn't really keep up 
with the business of professional wrestling. A lot of the stories would be relayed to him, and he would talk about, kind of compare to, you know, how he had dealt with things before. So I was very surprised that Eric was put into this role, especially creatively. It never really made a whole lot of sense to me. So, um, and, and then from day one, you know, we got the news that Bruce was the one guiding the way here, um, helping Eric get acclimated. I always did kind of wonder why Bruce didn't just get the job in the first place if he was bringing Eric up. Now, you got to remember, though, when they made this announcement, though, that Eric was coming on board, this was also at the height of the AEW kind of TV noise, where people were getting excited. We were finding out more about Dynamite. We were finding out new signings. Moxley had just jumped. They were trying to steal some attention. I feel like that's maybe all of this that this could have been was a quick Band-Aid putting Eric into this position, really not even thinking about how he would integrate into the back end of the product, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I don't know if I'm ready to subscribe to that, that they would uh, make that decision and announcement and have him relocate and everything if, if they truly – I don't know. But, yeah, but maybe. Maybe they didn't think it through. Um, I, I think one thing that probably doesn't help Eric – is the fact that he's side by side and has a counterpart in Paul Heyman with the other brand. And what I mean by that is not, I mean, yes. I mean, if if you're to ask a lot of people in the wrestling business, they're probably going to say, you know, if if you ask them whose creative ideas do you want to take, you know, Eric Bischoff, Paul Heyman's probably more people are going to say Paul Heyman, I I would guess, but not even just because of that, but you know, you figure you have Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman's going to operate as an executive director of his brand in the fashion that Paul Heyman's going to do, which, um, you know, which is going to be very hands on. I mean, this is the guy that ran ECW, you know, tried to do everything, uh, you know, 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, he's, but, he, but he's also familiar. He knows, you know, he doesn't have to be caught up with everything like Eric did. You know, he, Paul has been, he's been there for years. He's very familiar. So the way he's going to operate things and the way that he might want to be hands on with the creative process is going to be one way. And then you have Eric, who Eric might have a wholly, whole different interpretation of what he should be doing as his job. Agreed, agreed, 100%. Maybe it's yes. not, you know, maybe it's not as hands-on creative, and maybe it's it's handling things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so if you put it side by side to Paul Heyman, you know, if and if if you're going to use the, each other as a measuring stick, uh, you know, you could maybe find that that Eric's coming up short in comparison to how Paul operates things. Well, and it's interesting with Eric too because I think. You know, him and Vince, it's interesting, you know, the comparisons and non-comparisons you can make. But he, Eric is still one of those people that when you work underneath him, your ideas will not be your idea by the end of when Eric is done with it, if that makes sense. And um, if he's not really attached and engaged with what's going on, taking other people's ideas and trying to put his spin on it <clears throat> or put his fingerprints on it, I could see how that could become a little messy. Also, on the note of um, you brought up Paul Heyman and having to be compared to Paul. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the comparison with Paul, but it, one of the other stories that had come up here in the past couple months was about how there were a lot of people backstage that were very surprised by Eric's hiring in the first place, especially a lot of people that worked at uh, what was then TNA when Eric was in charge and did not re- remember that period of time very fondly, and Eric in particular very fondly from that. A lot of those people are now working as producers backstage in WWE. Uh, I don't know if this was a Vince McMahon call, but Eric fired Triple H, right? I know that they've uh, had a working relationship on several levels since then, but I know that they were not, they're not like friends. They're not like BFFs uh, from what I've gathered, you know, in the times that I talked to Eric about Hunter. So, I mean, there was a lot of people I think backstage that were caught off guard by, by this. And I don't know that this was, I don't know that he was emotionally, I don't know, mentally, creatively engaged right from the get-go, because I think there were some people that were instantly skeptical of him in this position, if that makes sense. Yeah, this is all speculation, but what I wonder, what I wonder is, and I'm not saying this was meant to play out this way, I'm not saying this was part of a grand master plan, but maybe this is just how it unfolded. I wonder if Eric was brought in when he was in the summertime, and if, you know, if 
the primary use or, or, or advantage of Eric was to help uh, the lead into Fox. You know, we, we obviously discussed, you know, his, he's got television, you know, uh, credibility and, and, and experience. So, um, you know, bringing in new exec, you know, he has familiarity of, of what it means to have new big TV execs who aren't wrestling people, but having to get them to understand, you know, so I almost wonder if, if his, if his focus had been, if his, if his biggest, uh, uh, advantage of having him for WWE has been to get to liaison Fox in now, obviously we've launched and now the, the Fox and SmackDown has begun. But I wonder if while he was doing that, you know, people like Bruce Pritchard were just picking up the day, the hour to hour, you know, segment to segment creative, uh, you know, just steering the general direction. And if, if, if then when now looking back, it's like, well, you know, do we need to have Eric here? Is Eric happy here? You know, let's just, let's just let Bruce keep doing what he's doing. And he's been right. doing it anyways, you know? So I, I kind of wonder if, if, uh, if that's just kind of how things have, have played out. Uh, based upon what we're hearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, let's dive into some more uh, coming out here about uh, Eric uh, uh, and what led to his release here. So Eric, uh, first of all, he did tweet out yesterday following the news that Bruce is a great producer, good friend, and I am certain he is going to thrive in this position. Uh, he's going to be working with a great team, the most dedicated and hardworking people I have had the pleasure of working with and getting to know. And I believe Bruce did tweet out something this morning uh, very a little bit shorter than this, but thanking Eric for being a, a good businessman and, and friend as well. Uh, now here's an, let's get into some of the backstage news uh, that we know about Eric's uh, release here. Now we'll start with what the observers reporting, and that was that the the firing of Bischoff was not a shock to people close to the situation in WWE. Uh, he was released yesterday morning. Uh, PWInsider.com reporting that Bischoff was informed of the release after a SmackDown creative meeting at WWE HQ in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, back to the Observer here, they said Pritchard and SmackDown head writer Ed Kosky will be the main people in charge of the blue brand going forward. Pritchard had been working with Bischoff up until today. Uh, post-wrestling reporting, even with the creative team splits between Raw and SmackDown, Pritchard was still one of the only people attending both shows. Uh, back to the Observer, there's no word yet on if Fox officials had influence when it came to the firing of Bischoff. Fox had originally wanted Heyman to work as the executive director of SmackDown, but there's no word yet on why WWE with Heyman for Raw and Bischoff for SmackDown. And I'll put a pin on this here real quickly. I'm, I'm getting the vibe a little bit that Pritchard and Heyman might have a little bit of their fingerprints on both brands. Are you are you also kind of getting the idea that this might be a blended creative team? I don't think this this doesn't say to me hard line between both the way that I'm reading a lot of this stuff. Up to this point, I think it has been blended. I do think there is a want to try to have some separation to truly fulfill the the goal and the talking points of having these two shows feel completely different. Okay. So you think that there you think that there will be some space here because I don't know. I, I think there's going to be okay. I think there's going to be an attempt. I, I do think up to this point you're you're right. I do think up to this point you know Bruce has been at both shows. Uh Heyman is also present at SmackDown or has been uh for several. So I I I think up to this point it's been blended, but I do feel that now that they've done the draft, now that we have the rosters, now that you know, okay, now we're now we're gonna start to settle in week to week. Fox, I, I do think they are they they truly are gonna aim for let's try to keep this as separate as possible. Um, well, we'll go over to here to some uh, PW Insider. A lot of, by the way, great journalism. This everybody was all over this story. I knew that I would get to sit here today and, and take it all in and, and give my two cents. But I'm trying to cite everybody the best I can here. A lot of great work was done in the last 24 hours. PWInsider.com reporting. There's no word yet on what Bischoff has planned for his future. Uh, he likely, not guaranteed. But likely does not have the standard 90-day non-compete clause in his contract because he was an executive, not a talent, and he could appear in another promotion if he wanted. 
Now, uh, I'll add in the last thing from the PWInsider.com note, because obviously we're going to talk about that in just a second. But they also noted that Bischoff and his family recently moved from their property in Wyoming to live in Connecticut so he could be put closer to WWHQ. It's unknown if they still have the property in Wyoming or if they plan on staying in Connecticut. Uh, so uh, I want to talk about both these parts individually. I'll start with the, the moving thing. I had always kind of got in the back of my head the vibe that this still could be this could have been Eric jumping at an opportunity uh, with the potential to, to try to get back into wrestling, but also maybe downsize his life a little bit. The property in Wyoming, you're talking horses, it's a ranch. It's a big thing for him to maintain. I always wondered if the move to Connecticut might have been an attempt for him to gracefully transition in to a more simple lifestyle. I also think he does have a home in Phoenix as well. I have no idea if he still has that property. Um, but that's those were just some of my thought. Pro- I, I don't know that the move to Connecticut was anything more than maybe just him trying to do a lifestyle change, and maybe the job just came along with it. And maybe, you know what, as I talk this out loud, maybe that's why this didn't work out. Um but uh, on the other side of the coin here, doesn't have the standard 90-day com- non-compete. Allegedly, maybe, likely, doesn't have the standard 90-day non-compete clause. Um, and he could appear at another promotion. Now, obviously, the other one, that, you know, it's, it's Wednesday here. We could, we're going to watch Dynamite tonight. The idea that Eric could walk out and start the show and fire a, a shot at Vince. I mean, could he be his own Lex Luger, I guess, is a, is a way to phrase this. Possibly. Um, I wanted to note, and I, I'll give you a second here to respond. I know that I'm being very verbose, but... I, uh, when I think about Eric and I think about AEW, I go back to an interview I did with the Young Bucks four or five years ago when they were with uh, maybe not four five years ago maybe three four years ago. It was at the it was at ROH I believe it was a Global War show here in Chicago, um, and the Bucks were not uh, they were in Bullet Club they were very very popular obviously not as popular as they are now, um, but I think it was one of my first interviews I'd done with them and I was working with with Eric and we were doing the podcast at the time. And uh, I did the interview, and afterwards I was like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working with Bischoff. I'd love to do something with you guys. I'm very interested in what Bullet Club is doing. Um, and uh, uh, they were like, oh, what, what's his relationship with Hulk? And I was like, oh, great relationship, you know, with Hulk. We're about to have him on the show, all that. And they were like, well, we're interested in working with, with Hulk. But they kind of they poo-pooed the idea of working with Eric. Um, they were like, we don't really have any interest in that. And that's just something that has stuck with me, as I remembered a lot of people's opinions with Eric when I was working with him at the time. I don't know that there is a desire within AEW to bring in Eric when they're trying to put off the vibe that they're doing something new and different. I mean, it would lead, I mean, it kind of plays into the whole TNT Nitro thing. I could see a place for him, but I don't know that this is something that AEW looks at and says, do we want to pick this guy up right now? You know, is this, is this the direction we really want to be moving? I don't know. I mean, if you were them, what would you do, Justin? I don't see any long-term employment for the sake of like him being part of the office of the AEW. I, I don't necessarily think he fits that, and I, and I don't think that they right now need it. I think they kind of have a happy little uh, formula that's working amongst amongst the the, the founders of it all. Yeah. Uh, I do think that it mean again if you if you're you know this is uh what this is week three uh, for them, and I mean I, I do think you know there is something kind of fun and poetic about him walking onto a pro wrestling set on TNT Agreed. just the same just the same as it's fun to see Tony Schiavone but he yeah, obviously more so Eric um for obvious reasons for um who he was for WCW in, in, you know 20 years ago and then obviously just given the hot topic of the news so if he is available i mean there is something cool I mean, about a limo pulling up and him walking out and you know i, I think the only place for him in AEW would be in some type of a talent role, right. I don't think they're planning to go down the authority figure role right now, and I don't necessarily see Eric as a manager. So maybe it's just a one-off of just letting him 
do something for a night or just for one build of a pay-per-view if they were going to do anything at all. Um, but I, but you know, again, if, 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 if AEW, you know, if you're trying to beat, you know, again, if you're, you're going on the air at the same time as NXT, you know, you all of a sudden you see Eric Bischoff who's hot in the news right now that he's gone from WWE and he just steps out of a limo. And even if you just milk that to the end of like, he or even if the limo pulls up and nobody gets out of it, and we all start to speculate who's in that limo. I mean, it's a nice little cliffhanger for a night. Again, what's the payoff? You know, other than maybe just a, a shot fired and a, and, a, and, a, and a promo. You know, maybe that's it. Uh, to the whole moving thing. See, when he moved to Connecticut, I always kind of thought in the back of my mind, and again, I don't know for sure, but I always kind of thought, oh, well, he certainly probably kept his property in Wyoming. It seemed like he loved that. Uh, but but there's a valid case he make about if you if you want to downsize and such um but yeah i mean i just I, I hope whatever he did in connecticut i hope he was renting and he didn't buy yeah uh, well something else for him to think about you know and that's the thing is again i only bring up the young bucks thing because it was just something i thought about when i was reading this and the odds of eric showing up there because above above everything else money ratings they're winning the day at the moment i i absolutely see i mean look i see that va- i see far more value in eric as an on-camera character than a backstage mind, and I and I and I think if he was really pressed, I think he would honestly say the same thing too. Because when we talked about on the show his time in WWE, he really talked about enjoying getting to play a character. He kept to himself. He was responsible for his own stuff. He was he was well liked in that role. He was remembered well in that role. And I think I think you nailed it, Justin. Like if you do the whole limousine thing, I'd even go and I'd say Chris Jericho's adding a member to the inner circle and tease it all night long. Play it out. Make it feel like the NWO. Lean into lean into Bischoff. But again, I don't know. I, I you know the, the whole thing with Eric the last four months has been so so quiet, right? Like so many illusions. Oh, he's here. He's he's doing. Got some input in this. Maybe he does it. Pritchard's doing. You know, we don't. I don't really know what the backstage vibe or read is on Eric right now, and the desire for other people to bring him in. So on that, I'm going to read the last part of the notes we have. Well, and, and yeah, let me just say the last thing, or just one thing to what you said. I, I agree. I think he is. Uh, I think he is more valuable as a talent than he is a backstage mind. Right. But I think. But I think his 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 um his his status as an on air talent for AEW is at the highest it'll ever be, being that we are about twenty four hours removed from this news. Every week that goes on, every week that gets removed from this 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 news that he's gone from WWE. It's a little less of a big deal of him randomly popping up on AEW because it'd be random. And again, if it's just for one night or just for one stretch build to a pay per view, that's fine. But it, it, it fits if it happens tonight because it's like very timely and it's like he literally walked right out of W headquarters and walked into an AEW arena. But if if like you know three months goes by and he pops up, then it's really random and it's just really irrelevant. Yeah, I'm just you know look, Jericho's finding a way to take over AEW, right? He's gonna he's got he's gonna bring in this 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 poison pill, right? Like Vince McMahon NWO style. He's like, I'm gonna sure. bring in this guy who's gonna help sure. us win the day and even the odds against you and your little nerd buddy Tony Khan, right? Sure. You know, yeah. I, yeah. there's and, a story. No, there's, there's definitely like I said, even if it's short lived, even if it's just until a pay per view or two, you know, even if it's only for a couple weeks or a few months, I, I again it has the most relevance and topical uh uh credibility and, and, and value right this moment. They're in Philly tonight. Right? Paul Heyman's backyard. <laughs> what a reaction that man would get. Uh, so anyway, yeah, like I said, we got a couple more new notes back here on, on Eric being backstage, and you know, then we'll we'll put our final thoughts on it and move on to the rest of the news of the day. Uh, but the Observer reporting that, yeah, some people in the company saw Eric's release coming. Morale had been down for a while, but it reportedly took a bigger hit on October 1st when the changes were made in the big move to Fox. Uh, there's been a belief among some in WWE, including Vince, that going to Fox and making other changes would bring this new quote-unquote boom period for the company. But the feeling among some 
is that the reality is set in, and they see that this quote-unquote boom period kickoff isn't really happening. Uh, a lot of people didn't like working under Eric, and uh, they even say that some of the people who did work under him, they wanted to quit. Eric was allegedly hard to get in touch with and often hard to find backstage. He barely did anything and was often seen in catering. Some people who talked uh, weren't even sure what Bischoff was doing at times. His critics also allege that he didn't really know anyone and wasn't familiar with talents and that he didn't go out of his way to learn anyone. Uh, Brian Alvarez noted uh, he had always heard zero good things about Eric, at least from his sources, and that there was always a lot of negative talk. He also said that he noted his sources recalled how Bischoff would show up for meetings and then quote-unquote vanish with people not being able to find him. You know, we don't know if Bischoff was handling other company within the business but or other business within the company, but, you know, that's possible. Uh, Alvarez went on to say also uh, how he talked about how he would ask who was running the show if Bischoff was nowhere to be found, and they would say it was Bruce. With that said, it's believed that there will be no drastic changes now that Bruce is taking the role because he's already been handling a lot of these duties. Um, it was speculated that the SmackDown ratings may have led to Bischoff's departure, but it was, but that's unlikely for a few reasons. SmackDown has only been on Fox for two weeks. It was expected the second week would be down uh, from the premiere, but because the premiere was also billed as a nostalgia show, 20th anniversary show, it's always a drop in viewership. There are also more rumors uh, of releases and shakeups related, uh, possibly uh, coming soon for WWE. So a lot to take in there, though. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't help but say that, you know, a lot of people, I get asked a lot of questions. I get a lot of DMs from people. When I go to conventions, the most common question I get is, what happened with you and Eric's podcast, right? And I've never really talked about it. And I don't really want to get into a whole lot of details. But I will say yes. Eric was very difficult to work with. And, you know, when we had a rhythm and he was listening and building on ideas, it was fine. There were some good moments there. But a lot of the time, like I said, it was like the momentum would be stilted. I'd start, he'd stop, or he'd change something. Um, or, like they said here, just vanish. You know, the dude is like definitely at a spot in his life where, you know, a lot of people are retiring at Eric's age right now, especially with the kind of career that he's had. He likes to ride horses. He likes to go up into the mountains. He likes to drink beer. You know, nothing, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, right? But his heart, his passion right now is not in pro wrestling. And that always kind of, and he knows that's where the money is for him, especially at this point in his career. Um, and it is, you know, in some ways it was like, you know, again, there were good moments there, but there were, it's, you know, you're working with somebody that was very influential for you coming up, but it was also, you know, it was, it was hard. It was really hard some days. And that's why I, one day I just had to, you know, I put out the tweets that we're done here. Um, because I didn't want Eric controlling the narrative of what happened between us on the way out. And that's, that's honestly the reason I didn't, that's honestly the reason I cut it as hard as I did and moved on because I had other things to do. And I really worried what Eric would do to protect himself in our relationship if I allowed him more time with me. So anyway. Well, uh, you know, and, and hearing all, hearing those different, you know, reports uh, of what he was like backstage, obviously, you know, I'll, I'll at least be fair and bear in mind, that's obviously whoever was talking to the Observer, you know, sure. for every, you know, uh, two people who had a bad experience with him, there might have been two that did have a good one that just didn't speak about. So I don't know that, but I mean, but, but based upon, you know, I know Eric a little bit, you obviously worked with him in, 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 in an intimate capacity, so based on what you're saying, there, there's certainly some... Some some interesting food for thought to think about. Uh, I know Bruce a little bit better. I've uh, worked with Bruce more, um, and I can just just say that the thing that that these things that are being reported that Eric falls short on, it's no surprise. Bruce is the opposite. Bruce is very I, agreed. 100%. It is Bruce is, is awesome. very is very present. He is, he does have awesome. a he does have a, a a gift of how to 
talk to different people and different personalities. And, you know, just from experience I can provide, you know, when, when he, when, uh, you know, Bruce and Conrad came to Pittsburgh to do a live version of their podcast or their live show. Uh, and I hosted and, and helped them book and get everything, you know, basically was the, the on-site promoter here in the market. Uh, and, and for as busy as Bruce is, I mean, I, 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 rarely ever had any trouble getting hold of Bruce. Like, you know, he, you know, I, he stayed in contact with, with, with who he needed to stay in contact at the times. And, you know, we had an emotional up and down with uh, some venues being changed and just normal, normal headaches that happen when you're booking events. And I can remember even him leaving me a voicemail late at night, just saying, just, just to call me down and say, Hey, Justin, don't worry. We're going to get this thing done. Like he, he has just a good gift of dealing with people. And I, again, back to what I said at, at the top of the show, look at the length of time he spent his career in WWE with a lot of personalities. He obviously knows what he's doing and how to navigate these waters. So again, these things we're hearing about Eric, you know, if that was the overall general, uh, consensus, again, no surprise that Bruce is stepping in because Bruce kind of is the opposite. I mean, I I believe the reports, Justin. I mean, it's like I said, this is, this mirrors, you know, how a lot of the ways I felt like I was right. And I'm not, I'm not saying the reports are lying and and I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, I'm sure the reports are reporting what the, their sources are saying. I'm just, I'm just being fair to say there, I'm sure there, there, there could be people who didn't talk to the observer who maybe had a different opinion, but I, but I'm not, I'm not discrediting what they're probably saying. And, and again, yeah. based upon your experience, there, this makes it makes sense then that this is probably his characteristic. But that's the thing is like I wonder, I wonder how much of this, I wonder how widespread it is because again, it's like with AEW, like if you're wondering about bringing this guy in, but like you know, again, and I, I, I don't want to spend the the whole show on this because we do have other stuff to get to here, you know. But I do wonder if it's like you know, you bring in Eric, and there are people there that have worked with Eric, and like you know, he comes in and he's in this power, fi- you know. This power position, do they resent him? Like, does he get the same kind of handshakes as everybody else? Does he feel included and listened to? Does is he worried about? Is he worried about people? I don't think there's a power position for him in AEW. Again, I think I think just as a I think as a as a talent to be it. Yeah, I think as a talent it would be different, you know. But even at this point, it's like I don't know, like how how much of that stigma that he just created it four months over at WWE carries over to the locker room elsewhere even if it is just a character you know that's the thing is like pro wrestling as much as it's about athleticism is as easily as much about politics if not more so i just i don't know wonder i wonder i'm with you i think if if everybody can come to to cool sides and come to an agreement eric is a performer especially in this role at this period of time in in the kind of stuff we're discussing i think would would be a, a benefit but i would at the same time i would not be shocked if we do not get that and do not see him in AEW for for the other reasons that i listed you know yeah. Yeah. All right. There's the Eric Bischoff story, everybody. Half hour saga. Put it in the books. Uh, all right. We got some more news to get to here, real quick. Uh, Showbuzz Daily. We got the viewership for Monday Night's Raw. Uh, their draft edition, uh, featuring the end of the draft, drew 2.287 million viewers on average, down 2.36%. I wouldn't have normally thrown this in there because that's not a huge bump up or down either way. But man, the first hour drew 2.521 million. And by the final hour, they were under 2 million at 1.997, a 21% drop from the first hour to the last hour. Uh, anything to be made of that? You know, I know we talk a lot about numbers on, on the show here, but it, it, did that grip you at all? Did it tell you anything? Sure. I mean, the format just dragged. I mean, you got to a yeah. point where you're deep, you're deep in these rounds and you're drafting Jinder Mahal, who, no disrespect to Jinder, but he's he's been injured, hasn't been seen in months, and, and you're drafting him while you still have guys like Cesaro, you know, Matt Hardy, Rey Mysterio, all these guys that have, like, you know, it was just... It just you know, um, I, I, it's just it, it was just not it wasn't it wasn't a great show. And uh, and, and yeah, it just it wasn't a great show. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, that's the thing is there were a lot of great matches, 
Buddy Murphy Ali was on that show, but I was just like, man, these are all just showcase matches. They're not for anything, right? Nobody was winning draft picks or anything like that. They're just showcase matches. So, uh, well, we have some more draft news here as the draft is continuing to spill over. I wonder if six months from now we'll still be doing the draft like we were the Superstar Shakeup. Uh, Triple <laughs> H uh, has announced uh, – um, they did the preview of WWE backstage on FS1 yesterday. First of all, did you get a chance to watch any of that, Justin? I did not. Okay. I watched a little bit of it. I didn't watch all of it. I had a lot of people texting me about it. Apparently, like, some people loved it. From what I saw, I thought it looked really cool. looked really nice. Very slick. Uh, Triple H announced on the show that Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are going to be moving from SmackDown to Raw. <laughs> no word yet on if Raw is going to receive picks for other trades. I think, I think Triple H said something like uh, Raw will get trades later and considerations and future drafts. <laughs> some sports lees. Uh, he also uh, commented on Bruce Pritchard's new position as a SmackDown executive editor or executive director and said he'd do really well in that position. Um, so there you go. The first post-draft draft has occurred. The first big trade, Yahoo. <laughs> uh, we also had uh, on the bump this morning, not to be confused with b- backstage, on the bump this morning, we, had, uh, we found out where several of the free agent superstars are going to land on Raw. You're going to get the iconic Sarah Logan, Mojo, Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, and No Way Jose. Over on SmackDown, Cesaro, Luke Harper, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, Dana Brooke, and Drake Maverick. And if you're keeping score at home on your draft scoreboard, that means, uh, and it is official here by The Observer, that the team of Eric Rowan and Luke Harper are no more. They have been split up as Rowan is sent to Raw. Harper is now on SmackDown. Um, And... uh, yeah, you know, Harper had been out of action there for a while, but came back to to to, to pair with Eric Rowan. I think that Eric was – I think this was his gym. I really do. I think the whole Eric Rowan thing, this was his gym, and I think that we are going to see uh, Eric Rowan treated very differently in the weeks ahead that, uh, with Eric on. I think this was his story. It, it just had a lot of his fingerprints all over it. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem splitting them up, uh, especially if they're going to both be used. And Well you – know, Harper – I mean, we'll see. I, I, um, I'll tell you what. You're looking at your draft – scorecard um top to bottom for what we know it's obvious to me smackdown is now officially the a show no kidding man jacked bra all the name everybody on smackdown you're gonna have like endless great raw raw is going to become i hate to say like the snl of wwe but it is going to have a more free-spiritedness i think to it than smackdown will raw just looking on paper raw and uh, knowing that 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 Heyman is the one running the day to day there, Raw has a feeling of a young ECW roster from the sense of there's a lot of talents that to still be developed and untapped that I could see Paul, you know, digging into and and, and developing. There's a lot of that, that, you know, from whether it's Cedric Alexander or Alistair Black or the the hum, the Humbert. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but the, the he, he was one of the notable Humberto Carrillo. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, I it just feel, it kind of feels like 1995 ECW, 96 ECW, where there's just a lot of names for or a lot of talent that that Paul can can develop that has not yet been established. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It's just be very different. You know, Raw they're doing the stuff with like you know Lashley and Rusev and Lana, more risque stuff. I bet we see. I just think it's gonna be more risque. I think it's gonna be goofier. I think it's gonna be a more free spirited show. And uh, you know, we saw SmackDown lose a million viewers. From uh, week one to week two, if how close Raw and SmackDown get in the ratings is, I think going to be the is going to be that maybe more compelling to watch if they really do stick to it with uh, different people in charge than what's going on with NXT and AEW, which is two people kind of fighting for the same. They're like two dogs fighting for the same stake. 
I, I see what SmackDown and Raw, if they're really left to different creative teams, could really be a, a, a you know offering somebody two different, like a cheesecake versus a, a carrot cake. Does that make sense? Did, was that a horrible analogy, what I just said? I don't know. Yeah, you started swerving a little bit, but I okay. understand what you're saying. Okay, great. Landed the Cessna in the storm. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very compelled by this. Last bit of draft news here. Uh, the Usos and Naomi, according to the Observer, not involved in the draft because WWE doesn't have any plans for them. Um, there's no creative plans at the moment, no return date. Uh, furthermore, official, WWE officials made the decision, uh, have not made a decision on which brand all three will be on. Currently, they're all on Raw. The Usos uh, were taken off the road following Jimmy's most recent uh, DUI arrest in July. Naomi revealed in late September that she'd been away from WWE action since July due to health issues of her own and family issues. Uh, very bummed to hear this, but I'm glad, if nothing else, that these guys, these three are being allowed to lay low and sort out whatever's going on right now. And uh, I genuinely hope uh, that, uh, you know, and I feel bad for Naomi in this situation. She didn't do anything wrong, right? But uh, it's obviously affecting her, whatever's going on right now. But I hope Jimmy can get right and create a better space yeah, for I like people that. around him. Yeah, I like all three of them. And, and I hope that they are, I hope that the word is we don't, creative is nothing for them as the reason to let them stay home and let them get, get everything correct in order um, in their lives. Uh, because it, if they are, it, because if, if it truly is creative as for, for them, if it truly is, if, if, if you know, if, if all three of them are ready to get back on the road and, and WWE, WWE is saying that that's a bad sign because, I mean, you got a, you got a, you got a tag team, you got a, an athletic tag team of, of twin brothers who are very over, who have been with you for a decade. Uh, you're always looking to enrich the tag division. You know, you're, you know, it's not a good, you know, certainly there's, certainly there's use for them between Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. So uh, hopefully the decision of them not being on the road is theirs, because if it's not, that's a bad sign. Yeah, yeah. I, and I also wonder a bit if uh, this wasn't a little bit, uh, they took precautions here because, you know, Jeff had had an issue uh, earlier this year, and then they tried to make a story out of it on SmackDown, remember, with Samoa Joe calling him out in the bar yeah. and everything. And I was like, if you make a joke out of DUIs, the guys are going to think their jokes are going to do them again. And look, Jeff did. Um... I think that a lot can be said here for Jimmy as well. I, again, don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but if nothing else, I hope WWE does a more proactive approach of uh, not trivializing these instances here and ensuring that the uh, health and safety of the performers come first. Because, again, I go back to that Jeff Hardy segment with Joe, and I'm like, why? Why would you do this? I don't get it. Realism? Cool. All right. Um, Wrestling Observer. Uh, WWE uh, is going to be pulling Rollins from Team Flair versus Hogan because right now, and I had not realized this until I read this, um, Seth Rollins advertised for two matches at Crown Jewel. He was going to be the leader of Team Hogan, um, and then he was going to take on Wyatt and the, the Falls County Anywhere match. Now I guess they're going to replace him on the, the Team Hogan thing. Very, you know, this, the post-draft drafts, eh, I know there's a lot going on. It's a million miles an hour. does seem a little... Uh, a little disorganized at the moment as far as decision-making goes in WWE. Yeah, and decision-making involving Seth Rollins is just uh, just, just wacky right now. I, I know Vince really likes him, and uh, he's an athletic and talented guy, but they're just they're, they're all over the place with this and The Fiend. Yeah, man. I just want to see him just nail a couple landings in a row. Draft, boom, rosters, done. Here's a big match with Rollins, Wyatt. Definitive big win. Give the people what they want. Follow it up. Boom. Done. It's just confusing. I don't get it, man. Weird. Uh, but also in the note of Crown Jewel, Daily Mail reporting that pro boxer Tyson Fury is going to be making in the ballpark of $15 million for his WWE debut against Braun Strowman at Crown Jewel. That is a huge sum of money. That is, uh, they, they, played, they paid Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather $20 million 
for his mania appearance. I don't even I didn't even know who this guy was before this match, yeah, Justin. Yeah, he's not he's not moving the needle fifteen million dollars worth. You know, he's not I mean, they already have their mainstream attention right now being moving over to Fox and and he's not and he's not the badass in the sense of the, you know, he's not he doesn't come in and have the aura that Mike Tyson had when when Tyson is is, is when when Jim Ross is screaming Tyson and Austin Tyson and Austin when I'm talking about Mike Tyson obviously Tyson Fury does not move that needle and he's probably going to he's, he's going to go over on Braun Strowman which is the the, the scary freaking thing but you got Tyson Fury versus Braun Strowman and then you got Cain Velasquez versus Brock Lesnar, put all four of them in a lineup and the two quote unquote fake fighters right now that that work in the predetermined uh, environment look a hell of a lot tougher than the two quote unquote real fighters. Yeah, um, I think that, well, again, I think it was the Observer that reported yesterday. Uh, I'm sorry if I got my source wrong there, but, you know, it was uh, reported that, you know, uh, Tyson Fury was because MBS, the prince, wanted him there, right? So I'm wondering if this maybe wasn't, we'll pay you a little bit more if you go get somebody we like to bring him in for the show. So again, speculation, not really sure, but uh, yeah, tough to justify that, justify that $15 million price tag for a show that not even really that many people are going to watch. Ridiculous. Uh, Maria Canales, she took to Twitter yesterday. No, she took to Instagram yesterday to respond to her husband, Mike Bennett's request via Twitter for his WWE release. And Maria said, one family first, two, I love and support my husband, three, I make no apologies for either of my pregnancies. Four, Mike never went to rehab, nor did WWE pay for it. Five, Mike's addiction was about from September 2013 to July 2017. Six, we debuted in June 2017. Seven, he never took time off. Eight, I have not asked for my release. Nine, you can unfollow me at any time if you don't like what I stand for. Ten, suck it. P.S. Have a nice day. I love that tweet. I love that. I love that message so much. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope both of them, you want both of them to be happy. You know, I, I read his his post talking about asking for his release and you know, feeling like he's basically stealing a paycheck. And, you know, and all that stuff's commendable. I, I hope he finds whatever happiness he's looking for. I, I'll tell you, it, what a, just take a look. Though. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, just uh, what a what a run. And I and I say that with a little bit of a just a what a what a run they've had in WWE since since both of them coming and and you know come in getting over uh, addiction good good to get over addiction then pregnancy then then I, it's just it's been one thing after another um do you when i, I re- when i read this story i can't help but think that rusev and lana i don't know like they the mike canellas maria thing died down and that's coincidentally when the lana rusev lashley stuff flared up right um it doesn't seem like mike was genuinely enjoying what he was doing with his wife there. I uh, I would love to pick the brain of Rusev right now about how much he's enjoying watching his wife uh, be massaged and, and kiss another man to pick up his paycheck at the moment. Well, if they grant Mike his release, we can get a interview with Mike to find out what was the what was the grand plan in all this. Who who was the father of the baby? All right, at WrestleVotes uh, reporting, uh, WWE set to tape the pre-Christmas edition of Raw on Tuesday, December seventeenth, in Sioux City, Iowa. That show will be airing on the 23rd of December. All WWE talents are scheduled to have some time off between the 22nd to the 26th. The SmackDown episode on Friday, uh, the 27th, that'll air live. Uh, the NXT episode on Wednesday, that's Christmas Day. That's not going to happen. No word yet on what they have planned for that night. But it looks like um, there will be more time off for talent this Christmas season than there have been in past Christmas seasons. We're in, uh, th- they were like asked to work on Christmas Day like a year or two ago, right? Right. Yeah. No. Good for them to get off the road. You. They ask so much of these guys. These guys miss so many 
birthdays and holidays and things good and uh you know what i, I wouldn't be uh, i wouldn't be shocked if this doesn't have a little bit of an aew uh, uh result from it because you know we hear about aew wanting to treat the talents better let them right. um you know have more time off not as strenuous a schedule uh and and so you know this certainly as you're trying to fight for morale and you're trying to fight for keeping your locker room looking more attractive than the than the opposition this is uh, i think a, a good step for WWE to do this yeah, yeah, that is good. Uh, the AEW effect here. More money, less less work. Great. The American dream. Uh, Rossi Observer, last but not least here, reporting the WWE officials are working on an NXT Japan, uh, and they've talked to a number of companies in Japan about a potential deal. Uh, WWE has tried to buy a Japanese promotion, so they have the foundation for NXT Japan. No word yet on if any deals have gone through, but one of the companies that they tried to purchase was Pro Wrestling Noah. I guess a deal couldn't be reached. Uh, there are also rumors of WWE trying to hire top Japanese talents to work as trainers for the new brand or a potential WWE Performance Center in Japan. Meltzer noted that there is talk of WWE signing two top Japanese talents for the new NXT Japan brand, but he wouldn't name them until he has them confirmed. Oh, you tricky minks there, Dave Meltzer, teasing me. Uh, this makes all the sense in the world. Um, I think in order for WWE to really break into Japan, which they've been trying to do for years, you got to set up shop and you got to put you got to you got to do business in Japan, not just occasionally. So I I am optimistic on how this could work out. I'm very I would be personally just very interested to see how it plays out. I think an NXT Japan could be a very cool project product. There you go. It's the next project for Eric Bischoff. We all know Eric has oh, has God. ties to to Sorry. Japan and all stretching back to the NWO days. No. And there you go. Eric Bischoff, he is now the new executive director of the NXT Japan no. brand. Uh, Sonny Ono maybe for Sonny, GM. Maybe Sonny Ono, Justin. Because I know Sonny still very active in the pro wrestling business. I could, You know what? You joke. The Eric thing was a joke. But the Sonny Ono thing, that's very real. I could see Sonny Ono getting pulled in on this. The originator of the selfie. My guest at this time is a former ROH World Champion, New Japan IWGP, and never open weight champion. He can soon be seen every Tuesday night on Access TV as part of Impact Wrestling. It is Michael Elgin. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, no problem. Uh, thank you very much for having me. No problem. Well, it's a very exciting time for you. It's a very exciting time for Impact Wrestling, and you guys are rolling in here to my backyard of Chicago for Bound, to Glo- Bound for Glory. I know you got a lot of history in Chicago. How you feeling coming back for Bound for Glory here? Uh, you know, I feel great for a magnitude of reasons. Uh, I think this year I've been at the top of my game, especially with Impact Wrestling, whether it be on their pay-per-view or on TV. And then I get to wrestle somebody who I very much look up to and consider a legend of, of wrestling, especially a legend of wrestling in Japan as in Marafuji. Yeah, and so that's that's the thing is you called out Marafuji here. And uh, you mentioned how you got to tangle with a lot of the big names in Japan already. Why Marafuji? Why did you feel like it was time to call him out and, and set up this bout? Uh, you know, it, it goes back to when I began wrestling. Um, before I even started training, I was a huge fan of Japanese wrestling. I remember in 1992 uh, being able to witness the first guys I ever saw from Japan, which were Hashimoto, Hase, Dr. Jesse Williams, and Terry Gardy. Obviously, you know, those guys were from the States, but they made their careers in Japan. And the wrestling was just different to me. You know, it was uh, growing up in Canada, we only got WWF until I f- first saw that WCW pay-per-view that had those Japanese talent. And WWF was very show. And uh, those guys, what they did, it, just, it looked like a fight. It looked like a real sport to me. 
And that caught my attention. So right then is when I started watching Japanese wrestling and I would watch the Super J Cups that are now, you know, renowned as some of the best shows in 94 and 95. And I started watching a lot of the All Japan Kings Road. And then when I started training, soon before that was when Pro Wrestling Noah started. And that was that Kings Road style, you know, moving forward, which was uh, Kobashi and Misawa and Kawada made, made Noah. And then I remember when I started my career, was when the Japanese talent was kind of coming back to the U.S. And most often or not, it was Marufuji and Kenta. Now, at that time, I feel there was a lot of people who were Kenta fans, but I was a Marufuji fan. I just liked his style better. I liked his matches better. Not to say Kenta wasn't great. It was just more so my style. And he was a guy I watched very closely. And my goal for many years was to go to Pro Wrestling Noah. I took part in a Harley race training camp with the opportunity to go to Noah. And that's really where I wanted to be. And Mara Fuji was one of the talents that I looked up to and wanted to wrestle. And, uh, when I was part of ring of honor in 2013, I was actually supposed to wrestle Mara Fuji in Toronto, but he got hurt before he was supposed to come stateside and we never got to have that match. So mm. ever since then, I've been dying to get in the ring with him. And I was part of new Japan. He was part of Noah. And then he came and did the G one. And when I saw him announce, I was like, Oh yes, this will be awesome. Then we got announced in different blocks and it never happened. And uh, now 2019 impact wrestling in Chicago, I get to have the match. What kind of a match do you think this will be? You know, how, how would you describe what fans are going to see for someone who's never seen Mara Fuji in action before? Well, you know, this is going to sound arrogant and this is going to sound cocky and I'm sorry for that, but to me, what they're going to see is the best match they've seen in 2019. That's big. That's a big. That's a high bar right there. You know, and you spent a lot of time in Japan. You've come back here. You've been working more regularly in the states with, with Impact Wrestling. But while you were in Japan, what do you feel were some of the biggest lessons that you learned and, and things that you added to your repertoire and, and style while you were there? Uh, you know. I definitely feel that I became a better performer in the four and a half years I was in Japan. There's no doubt about that. And I think the big part of that was because they still treat it like a sport. And that's what I love about wrestling. I love the athleticism of it. I love the way, you know, the way that it's presented as a sport. And I think just being over there helped me, but a lot of the qualities that, I tried to instill in myself and a lot of the thought process I had going over there was kind of installed that those thought processes were correct. You know, I feel like before, before going to Japan with my style, a lot of people would think that I was, you know, playing a Japanese wrestler, but truthfully that was just a style I loved. Yeah. You know, I think anybody that grows up watching a style and, and enjoying it, they kind of, wrestle that way you know a lot of people would go back and say well Shawn Michaels was a huge Ric Flair fan so he used some of those nuances and Chris Jericho was a huge Shawn Michaels fan so he used some of those nuances that is just how you perform and that was always what I wanted and what I appreciated so going over there I think that the mentality of the Japanese wrestlers of treating it like a sport and treating yourself like a pro athlete was what really helped me grow 
You know, and uh, it's not just Bound for Glory that's, uh, you know, such a big event right now. There's a lot going on with Impact Wrestling. Of course, you guys are making the leap to Access TV. Do you feel added pressure, not just knowing this is Impact's biggest show of the year, but also this is kind of the last chance for you all to make a big statement before you make that leap to, to television on Access TV? Uh, you know, yes and no. And, and the only reason I say no is because ever since, I laced up a pair of boots in 2003. Um, I went out there with the mentality that this is do or die. Um, I have to go out there and perform at my highest level possible to be brought back to a promotion or to have a crowd talk about me and a promoter want to bring me back. So this is just, you know, that same thought process going into it. Obviously it's a little bit bigger deal because you know, since I've debuted with Impact, we are moving to a bigger network. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot on the horizon. Bound for Glory is a huge pay-per-view. But to me, you know, if you don't treat every last match and every performance, whether it's on TV or pay-per-view in front of five people, ten people, a hundred people, thousands of people, um, that's when you become complacent. So I always try to go into every opportunity as if it's, you know, uh, do or die situation definitely bound for glory is no different for me well how do you feel about uh impact's new home and access tv what, what uh, how long have you known about this news coming out and you know what are your what are your expectations for the new platform i will be honest they kept it very tight-knit and i found out when the public found out when it was announced on twitter actually i should, I should rephrase that i found out 15 minutes before it was announced on Twitter from an email that we sent out from the company. Oh, but other than that, man, it was really tight knit. And I found out when everybody else found out. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's huge news because I really feel that impact has had an amazing, uh, pro wrestling television product. And the fact that we're entering a TV station that now allows more homes to see it, I think is great. Yeah. You know, I got to ask you, there was a real interesting name in the press release, uh, and that was Steve Harvey is somehow involved in the Access uh, Anthem deal. Uh, I don't know. Any talk of bringing Steve in to do something on, on Impact TV when they come to Access? Man, I, I just hope that we get a little wrestling action on my family feud now. Oh, I didn't even think about that. An Impact Family <laughs> Feud would be great. Right? Oh, that's so old school. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I agree. Um, well, you know, this is a... Uh, uh, you know, it's not just uh, Bound for Glory. You know, you guys have some other uh, shoulder events you're going to be doing in the Chicago area, including All Glory, which is going to feature a lot of the, the local Chicagoland uh, talent. Um, you know, how do you feel about these smaller shows that Impact has been doing, partnering with the different promotions to provide these Impact Plus specials? You know, I think it's great. And why I think it's great is it's like a firsthand scouting tool. You know, yeah. we go and we do these small shows with home promotions and we get to scout talent firsthand because I know as running promotions at a low end, not a, you know, a product that has TV and pay-per-view, that you get thousands of emails of people wanting to perform for you. And of course you want to look at them all, but it gets hard because you have a lot more jobs to do within the company, not just, you know, scout people. So I think it's a great tool to, one, get eyes on different people, and two, to scout talent. So I think it's been great. You know, I think it's a really good tool that really, if you look at it, impacts the only company that's really utilizing that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, of the Chicago uh, talent that's on display, I don't know, is there anybody that you're looking forward to seeing? I, you know, Frank the Clown's going to be there. You know, Mick Foley's favorite well, little boyfriend of her hus- of her girl, of her of his daughter, you know. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm going to be a little biased here, um, but I helped train Tyler Matrix, Logan James, and uh, Jake Lander, and all three of those are on the all-glory card, so... Those are three guys I'm really looking uh, that I hope impress impact officials. And outside of that, you know, there's a lot of great talent, but I'm a huge fan of AJ Gray, Alex Zane, and Blake Christian. So I really, uh, I really think that those three are going to put on the show and I'm hoping that TNA officials pay attention to all those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big AJ Gray fan as well. He's done some awesome work at, at Black Label Pro that I've gotten been able to see. Um, you know, another big name that uh, is going to be on the All Glory show is Kylie Ray. Uh, what do you think of Kylie? Do you think she'd make a good fit for the knockouts division? Oh my God. It's so, so fantastic. You know, the first time I ever dealt with her, I had actually booked her for a show against one of my female trainees who was, who was really blown up and, um, uh, everything about her just screams star, you know, yeah. um, having in a locker room, she's pleasant. She's, um, the smile is no BS when she's in front of the camera, you know, and it's contagious in a locker room and she's uber talented in the ring. And she's definitely somebody that, uh, I think would be great for impact as a whole, not just the knockout division. Now, um, with impact moving forward here to, uh, to access TV, I feel like a new burst of life being put into the promotion, a lot more eyeballs on it. You know, it's a very clouded market, or not clouded, but very cluttered market at the moment. What do you think it is right now about Impact Wrestling that stands out and are its biggest strengths right now in bringing new people to the table? As I said, I really think that Impact Wrestling has done a great job of focusing on the athletics, the athleticism, and the sport of professional wrestling. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to join the company. You know, when I was leaving Japan, I had already knew at the end of 2018 that I wanted to get out of my contract with New Japan and I was looking around to see where I thought I would want to go and I watched a lot of wrestling and a lot of TV products and Impact stood out because one thing that I love about pro wrestling I think what brought me to Japan is everybody fought for the championship you know if you were wrestling at the bottom of the card or at the top of the card, the main goal was to win so that you had enough wins to then be put in the picture to wrestle for the world championship. Right. And to me, TNA, sorry, I hate calling it TNA, but impact wrestling has done a great job of that. And, uh, I just, I'm really happy to be on the boat with them because they do focus on the athleticism and the pro wrestling aspect and the wins matter. And that, uh, the world championship or the exhibition championship with that belt you're going after the knockouts title or the tag team championships. If you're in those divisions then that's the main goal for you. And to me, that's super important to present pro wrestling to fans. And I think there's a huge plethora of fans that are dying for that. And that's why there's so many alternatives out now and why people are supporting those alternatives. You know, and there was a lot of alternatives, a lot of fans will, will call it a war that's going on in the promotions right now. Everybody kind of jockeying for that top spot. I mean, how, how do you feel being inside of it? Does it feel like a war right now amongst all the promotions? Um, I don't think so, but again, to me, I've never looked at it like that from a personal level. 
again, it's not like I was in WCW or, or, or WWF when they were battling. But all I've really focused on is how can I how can I help the promotion I'm with succeed? And to me, the best way I can do that is be the best performer I'm physically able to be. And I just work at that and I try to bring other people up. And if we are in a war and we win, great. But as long as while the battle's happening, people are focusing on what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do within that position, then I'm happy. There it is. Uh, October 20th, it's going down here right in Chicago, Bound for Glory. Of course, you're going to have the two, uh, like I said, shoulder bits of uh, content there as well with uh, All Glory as well. Um, Michael, is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview today? Uh, you know, I, I think as of right now, the main thing is to uh, keep pushing Bound for Glory, like you said, on pay-per-view or live in Chicago. Um, I'm really excited to wrestle Mara Fuji, and I want as many eyes on that match as physically possible. So uh, support Impact Wrestling, support Bound for Glory, and uh, I promise you I'm going to give you a match that you're never going to forget. All right, where we are at Guilt Nightclub, uh, very familiar surroundings for MLW. Um, they have a big show coming up November 9th, Blood and Thunder. Um, so I'm here. What better way to kind of gear up for that big event in addition to their big pay-per-view just days before that than with Selena De La Renta. Thank you so much for uh, granting me the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> so talk about, you know, big things happening in the world of pro wrestling um, overall and now MLW. Why is now the time right for a pay-per-view for this company? Well, I think that's the perfect time because, as we know, there's a lot of competition going on. And when, you know, when there's, let's say, there's product out there, there's other people doing stuff, then we're not going to back down. Let's just try to make this bigger. So I think that's why it's the perfect time. Okay. Um, from what you've gathered, just uh, what kind of, um, as far as the building the discussions for this big event, I mean, when was the first time that you heard that you guys were going to be running on pay-per-view? I think the first time I heard of it was the first time they thought of it, because there's nothing that happens in the office that I don't know right away. So, I mean, I mean, have you watched the show? Oh, all the time. All right, I'm producing the event that we're going to do this weekend in Tijuana. I don't know if that's a secret, but I just told you. <laughs> so, I knew. So, what is it kind of... Um, you kind of, kind of, as far as growing behind the scenes, I mean, just how that, it seems like it organically has, ha has happened. I mean, I think I read somewhere that you were initially going to sign up as an interviewer for MLW, but yeah. that kind of has evolved over time. Well, the idea of me being an interviewer was literally just that, an idea. Uh, when I met Corp Bauer, he said, um, we're definitely going to do something with you, but we just don't know what. I'm like, that's yeah, fine, whatever. I had a broken leg. I had broke my leg five different times trying to wrestle. And I said, well, I'll do whatever, whatever you need, behind the scenes or uh, interviewing. And he said that I was going to be either a host or a valet. And, well, we, we went with the valet and uh, a little, like, everything just worked um, like it was supposed to, I guess, because it was never like, hey, Selena, you're now going to be producing, like, out of nowhere. It was like, hey, Court, I have an idea. You want to look at it? Maybe later. Okay. I have an idea. All right, I'll look at it. Interesting. Let's talk about your idea. And that's kind of how things were changing. Okay. 
And uh, you've gotten some great minds to work with over the, the time of MLW. You have Bruce Pritchard, you've worked with Jim Cornette, mm -hmm. and then even outside of MLW, you've got to do uh, commentary with Larry Zbysko. Yes, just, I did. Just talk about what those experiences have been like, kind of learning from these guys who have been in the business for so long. Well, I, it's honestly been an honor, first of all, and very fun, because I've gotten to pick a brains of many, many people. Um, not just Larry Zbysko, I did commentary with him, which was super fun. We kind of did the Hi, hey Larry, this is how we do 2019, and he would tell me, well, back in like 20 years ago, I'd be like, excuse me, I was two. <laughs> and that's kind of how like the commentary went with him. It was really fun, very interesting dynamic. But Larry Stabisco is actually one of the first people I trained with. So I started uh, wrestling in Pro Wrestling 2.0, and he would just go there sometimes and give us some advice. So um, it was kind of fun like getting to work with my old friend without you know trying to say he's old but <laughs> it is what it is and um, I met I didn't meet her there but Melina was there um, we had Terry Reynolds I got the I got to work with uh, Francine who is like my mom right now she she means the world to me I got to work with Shane Douglas um, Sean Spears uh, Mr. Anderson and that that show specifically was insane. Mm -hmm. Like I got to do commentary on the things that they were doing and I felt like what am I doing commentary on their work for? Like they're just great. And here at MLW I got to work with Conan, LA Park, Loki, uh, MVP, people that just have marked this business immensely and just getting to learn the business as I go from people who basically make this business. Like I just can't <laughs> tell you how happy I am. I, am. I mean, it's the business behind the business, basically. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you mentioned your injury and just the way that they kind of put that into uh, your character with the, with the cane and everything. I just love doing that. Yeah. But now you're kind of back, it seems like, yes, with it, 100%. Yes. So are you trepidatious at all about returning to the ring? I mean, I know MLW is planned to have a women's division. Right. So is that something that you kind of want to be a part of? Well, I... I mean, technically, if there's a women's division, I'm going to be part of the women's division regardless, but not necessarily as a wrestler. I think that uh, when life sends you signs, you need to take them, and then when you break your leg five times, then I don't know how you don't take that as a sign. And when I started working in the business behind the scenes, everything just started flowing naturally, and I didn't really have to work that hard. As a wrestler, I had to train and train and train and train and try. And many, many times I went to the ring and when I tried, I failed. And this other stuff just comes naturally to me because I wanted to be a screenwriter. And now that I have the opportunity of living the dream that I always had, why would I turn my back and go pursue another dream? That would just be stupid. <laughs> So when you say that, I mean, are you, do you have creative input in um, what we're seeing on MLW? You mentioned the producing uh, mm -hmm. aspect of it, but as far as creative ideas, is there something on the show that we see right now that you kind of helped contribute an well, idea to? Everything has been a little bit of everyone, so I can't just take full credit of anything because we don't just go with an idea and say, oh, well, now it's your idea, you're fully in charge. It's more like, hey, how about this? And then five different people will come out from production and then will put their input. So in a way, I have to do with everything because I'm part of the discussion when we're deciding what we're going to do next and like what venue we're going to pick, like uh, what wrestlers we want to bring in. So I do have an input in that kind of stuff. But when I'm producing, well, I have all the input. I do whatever I want. <laughs> and it's amazing. You're 22 years old, right? Yes. And you've experienced so much already. I mean, what's great is also you've taken advantage of building your brand on social media. Mm -hmm. um, just talk about the experience. I know you have a Patreon account as well. Um, 
but social media can be an interesting place at times. I'm just curious, yeah. just kind of how do you maneuver it? I mean, there's a lot of great people on social media, but you almost got to have to weed through it to, to find them a lot of times. But just what's your kind of strategy when it comes to social media, especially, you know, being a woman in this business and kind of uh, building a brand right now in 2019? Um, I think I don't quite get the exact question, but I... I guess. Well, juggling social media, basically. Is how what do I, was I deal at. with that? Yeah, just um, talk about like, how do you approach it, basically. Well, to me, I just see it as work. I don't have social media for any other reason. Uh, I don't get to have a private life out there, so I just put whatever has to do with my job, and I keep it a 100 when it comes to the hustle. So I'm always like uh, promoting either a brand, um, I'm promoting my own merch, or LA Parks merch. I use it to do business. But when it comes to like my personal life, I keep it that. <laughs> What's the, I mean, there's a lot of interesting people out there. Do you have like an interesting experience? Maybe, you know, a, lot of, a creepy person that mm. you remember recently that, that, that may be on, in your DMs or something like that, that you remember that you're like, okay, I'm not gonna go further with this guy. That's right? eight out of 10 messages. <laughs> Let's what are start the, with that. What's the common, what are the common reactions that well, you get? The or com the common tweets? common or... thing that's not creepy. It's like, hi, can you please follow me? And I'm just like, why would I do that? Like, if you're going to message somebody out there that you've seen on TV, do you seriously think, hi, can you follow me is going to work? That's just the first thing I think. But uh, when it comes to creepy, um, I always get, you know, the inappro typical inappropriate dick pic. I get um, buttholes, I've uh, been tagged on porn, I've had, but that I have nothing to do with, by the way. Um, I've had people just say, hey, do you think you're going to make more merch soon? And I'm like, yeah, uh, pr probably. What are your ideas trying you know, to please everybody in the most <laughs> non-sexual way? <laughs> and he goes like, uh, well, I was thinking that maybe we should do a pocket of you. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> We're good. I'm not We're gonna good reply to this, but and it's usually like something like that, or uh, majority of people want to see my feet, and I want to monetize. You know, <laughs> if you want to see my feet, PayPal me. Ding. That's how it works. <laughs> All right. And um, what's great, a lot of things people see on social media is you're very passionate about fitness, mm -hmm. and it seems like you know you've dedicated your life to this renewed dedication to it so just talk about kind of the progress you made in the past couple of years maybe goals that you had for yourself that you kind of accomplished and maybe where you want to go with it so fitness can be probably and no, it's not probably it definitely is the one thing that I, it's more attached to my heart because if, if I as, as I grew up, everybody said I was so cute and this adorable girl and whatever. So I believed it. You know how you get in, in your head. And I was like, yeah, I'm hot. Oh, yeah. And I would go out there and wrestle and wear my shorts and think I'm so cute. And then somebody broke my heart. And I was like, why? And then he um, started dating a model. And I was like, shit, I'm really not all that. Like, this is just me thinking I'm all that. Like, I, it was just like a reality check. And um, as superficial as that sounds I started looking at myself and said I'm not enough let's just become enough so I could just show off and be like well now you can't get this and that's how it began it began to me fitness started being about proving myself that I was enough and then once I realized there's really no competition and there's I was enough from the beginning I realized it too late and I was addicted to fitness now. And now I'm just like, all right, well, if this muscle looks like this today, tomorrow it could be like that. 
So let me just go and train harder. And it's just now, it's just a matter of like, how can I better myself by competing with myself, not to prove anybody else and show no body, no nothing, because at the end of the day, I feel great. I think I'm great, mm -hmm. so. All right. That's um, how that came about. <laughs> and then you have your, the, we'll go back to the big pay-per-view event with LA Park in the mm -hmm. main event, of course, against yes. Jacob Fatu. Um, just can, what can kind of fans expect from the presentation of an MLW pay-per-view? Something that kind of separates them from the market right now, which is pretty crowded. Um, well, MLW is very different than anybody else. First off, because I would say 75% of our roster is Lucha, and it's a Latino ground, and that's not really seen in America. It's definitely seen in AAA. You can see it in CMLL because it's, it's a Mexican company. But here, nobody really gives the opportunity of Latino talent to showcase and show what they really have. And I feel that, yes, of course, American-style wrestling is necessary. It's also necessary to see what else is out there. And MLW has definitely given everybody the opportunity, not just Latinos, even though our 75% of our roster, like I said, is um, Latino. Everybody, everybody does get an opportunity. Like, we have a great variety of, uh, what, what can I say, um, sexes. We have different... Um, you have diversity. Diversity. I'm trying to come with the word that I'm looking <laughs> yeah, for, but yeah. I just can't. I'm, I mean, just like, we've had gay wrestlers, we've had women, we've had, uh, well, now have a women's division, which is a new thing. We've had uh, intergender, we've had everything. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then last question, um, just talk about what, how committed are you to MLW? Because I'm sure, you know, in this competitive marketplace right mm -hmm. now, you're probably getting offers here and there or... Um, you probably will be getting offers here and there down the line. I'm um, just talk about the commitment you have to MLW and its uh, long-term plans and how you fit into them. Well, right now I made a long, long-term commitment with MLW, and if it were to, you know, to come down to, hey, there's this offer and this offer and this offer, I will always look back and say, well, MLW gave me my first opportunity, and there's not a lot of companies that would have did what they did for me. Um, it's very hard to cast somebody with a broken leg and tell them, yeah, you can just go to the ring with a cane. Like, think about that. Like, there's so many hot women out there that you know, when it comes to reality, like in wrestling, how many hot women there are right now? Like, women are trending. So for them to say that's okay, wear flats, don't even, like, we don't care about sexualizing you, which is what usually they did in this business before. They just said, wear a suit, cover up wear a cane, we know you can do much more. And I just can't forget that. Because if I do, then I just think it's gonna be bad karma. So I just try to you know, put good stuff out there even though I'm an evil person at times. <laughs> well, it's great talking to you today. Great to kind of share your insight and everything going on leading up to Guilt Nightclub. Uh, MLW's return, Guilt Nightclub, such a unique, intimate setting. I mean, we've seen wrestlers jumping off this balcony right here. Oh, yeah. So you never know what you're gonna get that day. Um, so that's November 9th, Blood and Thunder. And then we also have the pay-per-view just days before that. We have the Super Fight November 2nd, where L.A. Park and Jacob will Will the world heavyweight champion when L.A. Park is going to leave with the gold. All right. You heard that's it here first. So Chicago, get ready. Um, you can get your information on MLW social media and MLW.com. Thanks. Thank you, Justin, for joining me to talk all of the Bischoff and non-Bischoff-related news of the day here on The Winkley. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. We've got another big show planned for you tomorrow. Justin will be back. We're going to talk the top news of the top past 24 hours. Uh, you'll also hear my interview with ECW original 
Francine. She'll be here on the show tomorrow. And our good friend Brian Wool will be back with his latest Impact LA media event interview. This one is great. It is with none other than Jimmy Jacobs. You're going to get Francine and Jimmy Jacobs tomorrow here on the Winkley. Very excited about that. If you like this show, you like our post shows, you like everybody at Wrestling Inc., the best way to support us, go over to the iTunes channel. Five-star ratings, nice comments. Always appreciated. You can tweet us. You can you can just DM me. My DMs are open. Just ask a question. Say hello. All that great stuff. Justin, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here to wrap up today? I don't think my DMs are open, but you can still follow me at Justin the Bar. And um, uh, I believe tomorrow I will uh, have the details uh, next Wednesday when AEW is in Pittsburgh. Uh, I'll be doing a pre-AEW party before we head over to the Peterson Event Center. So I'll have details on that tomorrow. It's at, it's, a, it's a party you like. It's at, a, it's at a brand new, just open craft brew house. Oh, my goodness. It is. I do like beer and wrestling. So I'll be doing that tonight. I think I'll, I'll crack a few and watch AEW NXT tonight. And I hope you do that, too. Hope you have a great Wednesday night. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. Tweet. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.